Welcome to Women Transcend. I'm Jennifer Todd, and this is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Each episode, we dive into a topic of national or international significance and discuss the particular impact on women and girls and how they are able to overcome or transcend. Refugee. The word has become quite an insidious code word. While it used to mean the needy, the hungry, the displaced, now for many it has taken on a very different meaning. The terrorist, the job stealer, the beggar, the rapist. Did I mention the terrorist? How did we come to a place where our empathy has been almost completely arrested by disinformation campaigns targeting those who are completely disenfranchised, homeless, without a country, welcome nowhere. First, let's think about this issue itself. The United Nations High Commission for Refugees, or UNHCR, estimates there are currently about 65.3 million refugees worldwide. Every day, about 34,000 people are forcibly displaced as a result of conflict or persecution. More than half of the world's refugees come from three nations, Syria, Afghanistan, and Somalia. Where are refugees? Well, a very tiny number get resettled each year, often in other nations, about 107,000 a year. The country which hosts the most refugees currently is Turkey, which has taken in two and a half million refugees. In all of the Americas, North and South America, only about 12% of refugees have been officially hosted. Most, more than half, are in Africa or the Middle East. There is another word that has become associated with a refugee. That word is ban. In January, in an unannounced and thoroughly unvetted executive order, President Trump put in place the refugee ban, or the Muslim ban. The administration claims it is not a Muslim ban, but makes no apologies that they are trying to ban refugees from Muslim nations from entering the country. Remember those three nations which make up the source of more than half of the world's refugees? Syria, Afghanistan, and Somalia? In case you're not familiar, the majority of the populations from these three nations are Muslim. So it is a refugee ban and a Muslim ban? And a refugee ban, Muslim ban? A little confusing. Why does the administration think refugees, Muslims, refugees, whoever, however you want to think of them, need to be banned from the country? a country founded by refugees. Refugees fleeing religious persecution at that. The media in a frenzied, xenophobic, nationalistic movement has convinced itself that the refugees entering the country have been infiltrated by terrorists whose goal is to enter the country under the guise of refugee so that they can organize and launch terror attacks from inside the United States. 
There is no evidence of this, and in fact, none of the terror attacks perpetrated on American soil have been instigated by refugees. So the fear of these refugees is wholly unfounded and quite unfortunate. So in summary, the thing that I can't get beyond, the thing I keep contemplating, how have we strayed so far from who we are? My America, my America is one that believes in the following. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Joining me today to discuss this important topic, which seems to get very little discussion, is Tarek Kadir. Tarek is a devoted father of three and an international aid worker for the past 20 years, working in areas of acute need all over the globe. Tarek joins us by Skype from France. Welcome to Women Transcend, Tarek. Thank you. Great. So I'm really excited to have you on the show today to talk about refugees. I think this is an issue that people worldwide really probably don't understand the situation and the depth of the refugee crisis. So um, do you have any immediate thoughts on that? Yes. First and foremost, pretty much all of our country, us included, are at some point uh, could have been or are classified as refugees. And what is interesting today to note that we have not had in any time recorded since World War II this number of refugees in the world. And that is a, a simple reality of what our world is facing today, and the U.S. has to appreciate that reality. Okay, so let me just reiterate what you just said. So right now, there are more refugees in the world than we have ever had since World War II. That is correct. Okay. That's correct. Yeah. Wow. And what generally is a definition of a refugee? That's a very good question because that is uh, what gets into the legal terms of what is classified as a refugee. For example, here in France, um, I have seen women and children who have been denied refugee status from Chechnya for various reasons, largely political. On the other hand, people who have come from a certain country who is in the limelight are granted relatively automatically refugee status. To put that in a frame of, of history, what does that mean? It is it's difficult to classify. And it is especially uh, when we're talking about women and children, it's all the more important because why? Because those are the most vulnerable in any situation, static or refugee. But if I look at it from the basic point of view of the partition of the Indian subcontinent, when Pakistan was created in 1946, my own father was a baby. He and his mother were refugees to what is now Pakistan. They had no idea of what that was. And now we are talking about more people than ever since the Second World War who are traversing borders 
seeking either a status of refugee, which is a legal status, or seeking simply another life, meaning that they might not be able to achieve the status of having been qualified as a refugee. However, they're seeking a better life. The end of the day it means that wherever they came from, we are not doing our job to ensure that they can live a normal life. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. So one thing that, that I heard you say is that in some situations, people become refugees because what they have known as their country, their nation, is gone because of failed nation states or changing borders or invasions. That's that's one reason that people can be displaced and become refugees. And, and that, absolutely. that sounds like it's a, a situation that's personal to you. Well, absolutely. And, and actually, uh, it's interesting because in the over 20 years that I've been working in the humanitarian sector, it, it didn't really hit me that my own father himself was a refugee. But most of the people that I do work with are either A, refugees, or B, internally displaced, meaning that they are displaced from their area of uh, where they come from to another area within the same country. And the, all the, uh, the, the level, level of being uh, a precarious existence exists therein. And refugees, by and large, are going to countries that they have a, a certain affiliation with. For example, here in France, where I live, you have a lot of Francophone, African Francophone refugees who seek to come here. Why? Because they speak the language. Whereas others are transiting, trying to go to the UK or other countries that are more Anglophone because they don't speak the language. And that is a, a question of what, what is, what is the, the balance of power of where we think we can do better for ourselves on a human scale. Uh -huh. I'm not sure that exactly answers the question, but uh, yes, it, it does touch personally. It, does, it is amazing that uh, when I look at my extended family, yes, since the partition of India... You look at the uh, the disparition of people all over the Middle East, the uh, Europe, U.S., Canada, etc. It's based on the linguistic link and also the uh, the business link that 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 lies within. Because when you have a li linguistic link, you have a, a link to some sort of uh, a trade that you can carry over. Uh huh. Okay, that makes sense. So I think that people might feel like they understand what a refugee is or who, who a refugee is because we've seen on the news a refugee camp. Um, mm -hmm. But mm. tell me, what is a refugee camp? That's an enormous question because actually um, the, the biggest part of refugees are never registered. They are people who are displaced from one country to another who seek shelter and people who are from the fa same family, tribe, etc., and the minority actually are in a camp as such. And um, refugee camps, where they do exist, are basically the last station, the last place where people can go. If you have nowhere else to go, that's where it is. And I, who have been working with a number of different international uh, non-government organizations, as um, I've seen that our reaction is always based on, do we have the funding to assist people? 
people have created refugee camp. Sometimes uh, it is it has been um, predictable, as in the case of Iraq for Mosul, that the government has said, right, people will be displaced from Mosul. So we're going to create a camp. We're going to make houses. We're going to make uh, latrines, et cetera, et cetera, to accommodate people and do it in a way that is culturally appropriate. They did that. Great. However, it is about 10% uh, in terms of what the number of people that we expect to be displaced. In other situations, refugee camps are very ad hoc, meaning that there is no preparation made. It is just a piece of land that has been dedicated and people simply have to get on with it when they get there. And what is especially um, worrisome is, one, the security, the security of each and every person there, B, the security especially of the elderly, women, and children. And it comes down to when you're talking about a ref refugee camp, for example, in Uganda, especially in the, uh, the late 90s and the early 2000s, you have refugee camps of 60,000 people, and there is no proper toilet made. And even if there is a toilet made, is it something that is safe for women? Probably not. Uh -huh. And there we're dealing with rebel forces. We're dealing with armed forces from the government, military, etc., etc., etc. And so we're dealing with a level of um, people who are living on a level of a, a margin that is very flexible. And their status is never, usually I should say, I can say I cannot say never, but is usually not determined at the outset, meaning that they are not labeled as refugees. They are not recognized as refugees or displaced within their own country for months or years to come. Yeah. So if there were natural disaster and, and they're displaced because of that or yeah. um, civil unrest or something, um, obviously that's not something you can plan for. And people just look for a safe place to be, assuming that hope they will be able to return and that's not always the case. Absolutely. Uh -huh. Absolutely. It's not always the case. And um, the longer, one of the things that is uh, important to, to, to put into the equation is that the longer that their situation of displacement or refugee status goes on, the, the more difficult it is to get out of it. Meaning that people who are, for example, refugees in Greece or in one African country going to another, going from Congo to Uganda. They might be displaced, and it might be for three weeks. Okay, fine, and you can make temporary arrangements. However, if years go on, what is the pattern? What is allowable, which, is not, which has not been allowable culturally before? What is the vulnerability we put towards women and also children who obviously have not been in school, they have not been in a, in a protected environment, they've been exposed to other people who are not of their normal range of interlocutors, meaning school teachers, uh, elders, etc. What kind of dynamic do we change by having them be displaced with an uncertainty? That is an enormous problem. Yeah, you know, I would imagine that it's probably just a human trait of survival to build kind of a culture to survive where you are. And I, yeah. I'm just wondering 
do you see these refugee cultures develop in a camp just as a way to survive? Yes, absolutely. And um, well, to give a, a more current example of what I what I worked with uh, quite directly in Bangladesh, the Rohingya people coming from Myanmar who were displaced to Bangladesh, you had in the early 90s a number of people who were declared as refugees, recognized internationally as refugees, have been given the status of refugee who are in a camp that is uh, managed by, ostensibly managed by the uh, UNHCR, the High Commissioner of Refugees, largely funded by the U.S. and other countries. Uh, it's a UN body. However, all around that camp, you have unofficial camps of people who have been, since the early 90s and even later, displaced. Now, if we compare those who are official refugees in that camp in Bangladesh, how many have been allocated a third country status as per their refugee status? Very few. In the last five years, to my knowledge, zero. The refugees coming from Bhutan to Nepal, on the other hand, 180,000, if uh, memory serves me right, almost all of them have been given a third country status within years, within two or three years of their status as a refugee. So the question is, who is attractive as a refugee? Those Rohingya people in an official refugee camp are suffering a level of acute undernutrition, meaning women and children. And I have even met myself women who have been su subject to sexual violence and have had no recourse to any judicial power simply because of the fact that they are refugees, even though they are official refugees, registered internationally. All in that around that camp, the women and children there, they don't have rights. They are not officially refugees. They're not officially displaced from their own country. They simply live as they are and try to get on, trying to in a practical terms, trying to build latrines for communities. Impossible. Uh -huh. We had tried that and they were bulldozed and saying, no, you cannot do that. And I said, well, this is a public health issue that uh, you're, you're waiting for cholera to spread between everyone if you don't have simple latrines available. No, unacceptable. And people have been living in that condition for over 20 years. And 20 years means one and a half generations have come up in that environment. Uh huh. Okay. So one that, and a half generations. Yeah. That yeah. I, I honestly don't even know how to respond to that. Okay. So people are refugees because they're fleeing violence. They're they become refugees if they're, you know, yeah. if their city falls because of a natural disaster. What about economic refugees? I I think that maybe some people might have the misconception that, you know, I'd like to move to that rich area because yeah. I would like to, you know, be able to live lavishly. In terms of economic refugees, is that accurate? I think it's, uh, to, to give a personal example, um, I've also, when visiting various countries, saying, oh, okay, you're an aid worker, so you're here to aid economic refugees. I go, well, what does exactly that mean? Frankly speaking, who among us is willing or able to pick up our roots, to move to anywhere 
that is within a say a, a 15 kilometer or uh, seven mile circumference of where we live for work as americans how many of us are, are willing to say all right i'm going to pick up from washington dc and go to california and install myself there and pay the rents that it takes there because i have better economic opportunities that is a fraction of what are refugees in the world today most people are like any one of us they are parents they are sons and daughters for sure and they're not going to displace themselves to another place unless the calculation of risk means that they're more likely to provide for their children and their elders meaning their parents etc where they would go to uh, than where, where they come from. It is as simple as that. It is nothing new under the sun. And I don't buy the idea of economic refugees as an excuse whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Okay. Moreover, moreover, yeah. I would like to add to that, that uh, economic refugees, if we look at coming from our country, America is a country that has been built by people who are refugees. It is that. It has encouraged people who come, bring your talent, let it flourish, let it deliver for people here and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. That is what America is about. Land of opportunity. And if we look at the medical system of America, mm -hmm. I won't talk about the insurance system, but the medical system, we have doctors and nurses, etc., from all over the world. But they have found the ability to to cultivate their training in, in a level that they could not do wherever they are from and disperse it in America and throughout the world. Mm -hmm. That says something about accepting refugees and giving something to the global world. And that mm -hmm. is what, uh, what we're about. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you about the condition of women and girls or the situation of women and girls who are refugees. I believe when you set up a refugee camp, are women and girls separated from men? Uh, generally, no. Generally, the family units are privileged in that. Um, however, it might be that it might be extended family, it might be nuclear family, that uh, they're kept together in general. Uh, I say that in general because um, it's very, very difficult to monitor and to see how that pans out in reality. Uh-huh. Okay. So do you have any um, firsthand experience observing the, the the condition of women and girls and the particular issues that they have in refugee camps or as, as refugees? Yes. And um, But first and foremost, I have to say that being male, I have, of course, had less access to women and children, especially girl children, wherever I have worked. But um, I can give numerous examples. For example, uh, well, most recently I was in Pakistan, working in the northwest of Pakistan. And no, I could not speak directly to women and children, uh, but I did speak to men who were the representatives, and that is how the nuclear family worked. On the other hand, Speaking to men, man to man, as it were, uh, in quotations, um, we could speak about the condition and say, well, all right, your mothers, your wives, your daughters, how was it for them? And even 
kind of traversing the gender barrier by virtue of saying is a common interest as human beings. What does that segment of the human race, how do they adjust to their displacement? I say, well, they have a difficulty. They have a difficulty because I cannot have my wife, my mother, my daughter go to a latrine that has been established for the camp. However, I cannot assure that they're protected to go there. That's a, a very simple one. And we can extrapolate from there of, of, of all the difficulties that come in, in, into case. Um, more recently, well, no, I should say less recently, but more in recent memory is the uh, Balkan War, which uh, a lot of the Western world did not really realize the impact they're in. But the abuse of women, the traffic of girls. Yeah. And I have unfortunately seen myself, though it was not my role, when I was more dealing with feeding and water supply for, for people returning to their homes after the Balkan War. But we had numerous cases of girls who were 13 and 14 years old who were forced into prostitution, who were trafficked between countries. Uh -huh. Was it their choice? Obviously not. Yeah. Was it their parents' choice? Of course not. Mm -hmm. What parent would traffic a child? But that is the reality that comes about. And there is a market, most unfortunately, and the people who solicit that market are not brought to the law. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I probably would have a hard time coming up with a more disenfranchised person than a refugee and unfortunately, we're we're running out of time. Um, have I have we missed anything key? Well, I think there there of course a conversation could go on. Uh, the main thing is that, um, in my perspective, in my uh, in in my work, the 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 fact of being a refugee or not is a human reality that should and could and does touch every single person. And one of the reasons I'm proud to, to have American nationality is that, well, most, most all of us in the U.S. are uh, refugees or have been displaced from somewhere else for one persecution or another. And we should be the leaders of saying, no, there is a better way to live. Yes. And the interest is right there in those children that we have the obligation to raise each and every one, as if they were our own, whether they are or not. Mm -hmm. Couldn't agree more. And um, I think that's a responsibility that that we have not realized in the our present situation and with the unfortunate sort of slamming of the proverbial door for refugees right now. Right. So um, thank you so much for joining me for this really important discussion Tarek, I appreciate your time and um, your thoughtful conversation. Thank you very much for having me. This episode's Woman in the Spotlight is not a single woman, but a group of women and men, in fact. This episode, we highlight the 10 athletes from the refugee Olympic team who competed in the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio. This was the first time in Olympic history in which a team was pulled together comprised only of refugees. 
Among this group of extraordinary athletes was Yolanda Mabika. She is a refugee from Congo, resettled in the nation of Brazil. She became separated from her parents during the Civil War in Congo and landed in a children's home in the capital city of Kinshasa. While there, she took up judo and eventually became a competitive athlete. Of her experience, Ms. Mabika says, I will raise the Olympic flag, but I'm a little bit sad in my heart and mind because I cannot march under the flag of my country. Everybody in the world talks about the refugees having no major importance. We are going to show that the refugee is capable of doing everything that other people around the world do. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. Be sure to leave a review for us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. That will make it easier for others to find us as well. If you like a particular episode, it's easy to share through Twitter or Facebook. A big thanks to Tarek Kadir for speaking with me today for this episode on this very sensitive and important topic. And also a big thank to John Philbeck for doing all of the wonderful sound artistry so that I sound so good. Tweet us at Women Transcend or follow us on Facebook. We always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode. 